two years ago, we uh, were, we, our runway was depleted and we had to make some hard calls around either do we shut down or close down or stop or do we find a way to continue through a slow period for us? And um, because we had, we were a values-based organisation, values and culture is what we sell, um, we were lucky enough to have a culture in our environment where we, we could ask um, our employees what kind of solutions we could come up with to get through a three-month period. And we made a decision that we would find other contracting work for our employees because so that we didn't have to pay them, but that they would still be on a contract. And then when that contract was completed, they could come back to us. That was a hard thing to do. Hi, and welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock. As you're hearing this, we've just concluded SaaStock 18, our biggest and best conference to date in Dublin, at least we hope so. We'll rest a little bit here, but not for too long, as we're about to cross the entire planet to bring SaaStock to Oceania on December the 6th. On this week's episode, I talk with one of the speakers we'll have the pleasure to host, Dale Kleber, CEO and co-founder of Weirdly. Weirdly hails from Auckland, New Zealand, and was started four and a half years ago to help businesses and people stay aligned with their quirky and even weird characteristics in place. It had taken Dale and her three co-founders three months to come up with a name, which I personally love. Dale has spent 20 years in the recruitment industry and has an incredibly deep and genuine interest in people. In her time spent working in agencies and services for recruitment, she found most processes lifeless and unengaging. Weirdly was an antidote to that. As you'll hear in my conversation with her, it wasn't always easy and there were some tough decisions made along the way. But now the company is 13 people strong, very much diverse and inclusive. Listen on to learn the most important value behind a diverse and inclusive culture. We've uh, created values in our um, culture that encourage people to be curious and question and to um, ask difficult questions if they're not certain about something or they don't agree with it. And we sl- and we have a, a culture of if it's a big decision, we sleep on every decision before we go move forward with it. And we want to hear from everybody. Um, and that's meant that we've created a much better product. How should companies hire with fair representation in mind It make sure the best candidate is chosen? Um, well, one of the things that I think we do well and that we recognise in other organisations and our customers is... Um, our content that goes out about us shows a lot of um, the diversity that exists inside our organisation. So you see me out there a lot speaking at conferences, talking and on social and our founders. Um, a lot of the imagery that we're using is very diverse and um, speaks to the way that we think. We see not just specific to um, female um, diversity, but whatever the, the diversity that they're looking for and what they're trying to champion, it's about the, the messaging that you're putting out about your organisation, not just in the recruitment process, but always about your employer brand. What organisations can do to promote diversity and inclusion and move the entire space forward? Sharing stories is, is, a, is a really good way to do that. I've been seeing a lot of organisations who are being honest about metrics that they're wanting to improve when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And they may not... I mean, the areas that they're trying to improve, but just showing a commitment to improving those and sharing those stories um, is something that can be really powerful. 
because everyone wants to follow everyone else who has a good story. And even if that shift is only by a small percentage, promoting that and being proud of that is something that I think um, that more organisations should do. Other great speakers joining Dale at Sasta Oceana include Alex Faller, CEO at Vend HQ, Ashik Ahmed, CEO, CTO and co-founder at Deputy, and Kirsty Grant, CEO and co-founder of Populate.io. Many other local and international founders, executives and investors. Join them for a day of learning, networking, meeting investors, partners and friends in lovely Sydney. This is going to be the SaaS gathering of the year, down under, so grab a ticket now if you're in town. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, Dale Clairbert, uh, CEO of Weirdly. Welcome, Dale. Glad to be here. Yeah, and, and, and where is, uh, I know obviously we're, we're speaking uh, virtually, uh, but you're, you're the other side of the world and uh, I think many hours uh, ahead of me, right? 14 hours, something like that. Yes, it's a, fr- it's a Friday night here for me, a late Friday night in New Zealand at the bottom of the world. Okay, wow. Ne- never been? Never been? Whereabouts in New Zealand are you? I'm in Auckland, which is the largest city in the North Island, slightly warmer than the South Island. Excellent. All right. Well, um, uh, you know, obviously, we're, we're, Sastock is uh, is coming to uh, Oceania region at the end of the uh, the year and in, in December. But we'll be in uh, Australia, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have the time to make it to New Zealand this time. But um, uh, hopefully, hopefully next, it's uh, it's on, on the list of places uh, uh, to, to go. Um, but Dale, um, obviously, thank you for joining us on the uh, uh, on the podcast uh, today. Um, you know, you, you are speaking at SAS Oceania at the end of the year, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit sort of later. Um, those that, uh, are, you know, the listeners of the show that, you know, haven't heard of you before, haven't heard of your company, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, who is Dale Kleber and then, you know, who, who is or what is Weirdly? Right, sure. Well, who is Dale Clearbert? I'm, as you've said, the CEO, and I'm one of four co-founders, but I'm a co-founder of a tech startup called Weirdly. I've been in recruitment for 20 years, roughly. Don't want to stay too much longer than that, or let my age out. Um, but mostly from an agency background, um, from a services background, and then moved into product and software, which has been a really great transition. Um, I'm a mother, stepmother, divorcee, about to get married second time. Um, my whole pa- my passion really for life has been around people, and that's the reason I've landed in this industry an industry that's completely focused on people and helping them to live more happy and fulfilled lives. That's been my focus. Excellent. I love the name as well, Weirdly. How did you uh, come up with that? Well, just uh, it relates directly to what it is that Weirdly does. It's a piece of people technology that helps businesses and people to find out how well aligned they are when it comes to values, culture and potential. And so when we were coming up with a name, it took four months. Naming your company has got to be one of the hardest things ever. Um, but we we realized that what we're looking for, what our product helps with, is looking at the uniqueness or what's weird about an individual and then what's unique or weird about a company and getting those two things aligned. And so that's kind of how we ended up with the name Weirdly. I like it. And uh, and so obviously you mentioned the, you know, the 20 years in the in the recruitment space. Was it during this time that you, you saw and felt the need that, uh, you, you know, and got the idea, obviously, for, for Weirdly, that there was just some, something sort of missing and, and this is what led you and your, your other co-founders to come up with the, uh, the company? 
That's exactly right. Uh, we realised that we were a group of people that knew each other and other companies that we had um, been involved with and had um, previous relationships with. And we got together and we're having conversations about the need out there. And we realised that the traditional recruitment process was broken. Well, we think it's broken. Businesses are continuing to focus on hard skills and experience as the priority or the main focus predominantly in the recruitment process. And this has led to really rigid, lifeless, um, unengaging recruitment models. Um, and candidates don't like it. And the information that they're judged on in the recruitment process is in itself lifeless and unengaging. And so um, we thought there's an opportunity here um, for businesses to be reflecting their values and their culture in the process. And when you put that into the process, then the candidates give you that information as well. And so then we've got this opportunity to provide our customers or businesses with applications that are fuller, richer, and a, a more um, uh, relevant representation of who a whole candidate is in the recruitment process. That's what we felt was needed, and that's what um, we've been doing for the last four and a half years. Excellent. And so in, in the four and a half years, so you've got four co-founders, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you're the CEO, right? Um, so the, the other positions, what have we got, like a, a CTO, CMO? Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, the usual. And then uh, what about the rest of the team? How big is the company now? Uh, after- at the moment, um, we're, we're sitting at about th- we're 13 people across New Zealand, Australia, and the US. And okay. our makeup is, is, I guess, made up of uh, heavy on product. Mm-hmm. And more recently, we've been really exploding on the sales side of things, which is those people that we have in other markets. Have you raised capital? Or are you entirely bootstrapped? No, in the last four and a half years, we've raised just over a million dollars in okay. New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. bootstrap. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and is this from like what, what is the VC sort of ecosystem like? Um, you know, New Zealand, Australia. Like, are, are there many? Uh, New Zealand and Australia, very different ecosystems. Mm. So the money that we've raised with Weirdly has been in New Zealand, and we've done that with a couple of uh, independent investors and a fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fund has been with us since the beginning, mm-hmm. so we've managed to raise all the all that we needed from those from three areas. Um, the VC environment in New Zealand is very small. Um, in Australia, it's much bigger. There's, a, in fact, we're starting to see a lot of the VCs from Australia investing quite heavily in New Zealand businesses, um, and that's that's an interesting dynamic. Um, and it, but it helps because Australia is such a um, a much bigger market than New Zealand is. So uh, we're able to and, and I'm interested actually because I'm still I, I don't know much about the the ecosystem um, you know in Australia and New Zealand and, and hopefully we'll learn more at you know at SaaS.Oceania I'm, I'm sure but like let's say in in Europe typically like a European SaaS company um, you know maybe once they've got to like a, a million sort of in ARR um, or you know raise their Series A. They'll look to then, you know, the US, which is kind of like the biggest market, you, you know, I guess kind of like globally. And they, they'll look to kind of, you know, uh, start to open an office there. Maybe the co-founder will, will move to the US. That'll be the first kind of port of call for like a European company to internationalize. Like with the um, uh, Israeli ecosystem, uh, again, they'll actually skip Europe, even though it's closer, and go straight to the US when they kind of get to a similar stage. Being in like Australia and New Zealand, uh, again, like what what happens? Like at, at what point do the companies look to internationalize? Do you have to internationalize from day one? Uh, you know, or you know, is there kind of like a certain 
um, I, I guess, kind of a process, uh, uh, or you, you know, when you get to a certain size, that we look at a certain region and what is that region? Sure. Um, well, a couple of things. Again, we've got their two, and I, I don't want to labour this too much, but they're, they're two completely different ecosystems. So um, New Zealand's market is very small, and so they tend to look to go global from day one because mm-hmm. they can't do it in their own market. Australia, they've got a you know four times bigger market than New Zealand, and they can afford to spend more time without having to go global straight away. Um, they do, they will always have that intention, but they don't have to do it from day one, whereas New Zealand will look straight to Australia immediately. They will look to market directly in there. As far as whether we go uh, US next, Asia, which is another great market for us, or Europe, um, there's been a real shift with that. Uh, We'd look at the US first, but I have a lot of stories from the ecosystem, particularly out of Australia and a couple from New Zealand. We're going to the, um, from here to Australia to the US, um, and then they'll have a go with the US and keep going, then go to the UK, and then they will achieve in the UK and Europe three times faster than they would if they went to the US. So we're just starting to see a sentiment shift of do we go to the US um, or do we go to the UK first and then to the US? Yeah, and I think it, does, it really does depend also on what your product is um, as to whether you might go to Asia as another opportunity because Asia is very close for us in an immediately next market. Uh, so that's just something that I've seen happen in the last three to four years while we've been working towards this ourselves, taking feedback from a couple of SaaS um, startups that are from Australia, listening to their advice because they might be two, three years ahead of us and saying if I had to make the decision again, I probably would go to the UK and Europe first ahead of the US. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And um, um, so in the, well, uh, I guess scheduling this podcast with uh, it being 8am here and 8pm there on a, uh, on a Friday has been a small challenge, not, 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 a, not, a, uh, not, not a real challenge, but a, a small challenge. But in terms of real, real challenges that you've had, you know, in four and a half years, you know, what are some of the challenges that you're, you're kind of happy to share in, in, in the growing and scaling a SaaS business and whether it's obviously, you know, from New Zealand or irrespective of that, just because it's a, a, a SaaS business that, um, that you're kind of happy to share with the, the listeners? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, One is the obvious one about the fact that we're from a small country. Our funding is hard to come by. We have great ideas, um, but we're not in a market where that can scale and where funding is is easy to get hold of. Um, So that's been a challenge. So for us, the challenges we face are we don't have a lot of time or money when we're considering runway to do a lot of experimentation. Mm-hmm. So when we decide at making a decision as to which market we're going to, who to hire next, um, what we're going to choose to move forward with as far as a product roadmap goes, we don't. We have to get it right um, because we just don't have that many chances to get it wrong. So that's meant that I feel that we haven't been able to move as quickly as we could have. Uh, when we started out, we um, didn't have as many competitors. Now our market is becoming flooded with the competitors. That's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that now we're not educating a market on what we do and people have a budget for what we do. So that's great. But it also means that we're competing now with people that have five times, six times as much capital as we do. So that means we haven't experimented as much, which means that when we, we haven't moved it or scaled as fast. You- Oh, no, carry on. So, so I was just going to move on. If you wanted to talk about that, we can delve yeah. into it. But, but there's a particular, also another challenge I was going to speak about. But go ahead. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, so, uh, carry on. Uh, speak about the, uh, the, 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 the next challenge. Well, two years ago, um, we uh, were, we, our runway was depleted and we had to make some hard calls around um, either do we shut down or close down or stop or do we find a way to continue through a slow period for us. And um, because we had, we were a values-based organisation, values and culture is what we sell, um, we were lucky enough to have a culture in our environment where we we could ask um, our employees um, what kind of solutions we could come up with to get through a three-month period. And we made a decision that we would find other contracting work for our employees um, so that we didn't have to pay them but that they would still be on a contract and then when that contract was completed, they could come back to us. That was a hard thing to do. Because <laughs> you get nervous and you're not sure what's going to happen, um, the market was such that finding some of our developers' contract work was not hard. But it did feel like, you know, you're in this startup and you have this vision of of a unicorn and scale, 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 up, 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 high growth and that growth never stopping. And at this point, we didn't have that. So it was tough, and we had to do that before Christmas two years ago. But three months later, everybody was back. So, uh, yeah, and it, it is, it's good to, uh, obviously, uh, I mean, you, for founders like yourself to kind of share those stories that actually it's, you know, it is not just, you know, scale, scale, scale. And, you know, <laughs> the, the picture that you, you can read about in, you know, TechCrunch or that is painted to, you, you know, many sort of like budding entrepreneurs. But, but actually, you know, when you become an entrepreneur, whether you're scaling a SaaS business or any business, it is, it is tough and you have these moments, right? And, it, and it, it's great that, you found a solution and that everybody came back, right? So that's, um, that, that, that's really good to, to, to hear. That's a, that was a reality. I mean, it was two years ago and things are in a, we're in a much better place and different place from that now. Um, but I, I still remember that. <laughs> and you learn from that. And, again, I think sometimes that can give you pause for thought and you're a little bit more cautious in your decision-making. I don't know. Sometimes that's great and sometimes it actually hinders your progress but at the moment it was definitely when I reflect it was the, the best thing for us and I'm very grateful um, that we got through that time and it made us stronger I think yeah and, and I think like we we have like mainly uh, in my understanding the the listeners are entrepreneurs of SaaS businesses that are you know running you know when I say real SaaS businesses the, the, these are you know in their kind of you know first second third fourth year you know they, they they have whole teams and so i think they can all empathize and have all been through you know their kind of rocky periods and maybe maybe still going through those um so uh, they'll, they'll relate to, to to this and for any uh, you know as i say any of the, the budding uh, entrepreneurs that are uh, listening to this is just um you know shit is tough so make sure that that you want to yeah. get into it right uh, i know it's uh, that's that saying which is it's a marathon not a sprint is mm. so true when i look at back at who i was a year or two years ago and i was just um running 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 all the time and now we're still achieving great things but with just a little bit more balance and, and perspective when you go through those really rocky periods, you learn so much. You learn how far you can push your budget and your runway and how close you can get and then everything will actually be okay if you're just honest with your employees and transparent about where things are at. Um, they will keep continue on the journey with you. Well, um, you, you know, appreciate you, you, you sharing those, those kind of insights in the, in, in the challenges in, in those you know, initial four years. We're going to do a, 
a, a 180 here uh, because I know we wanted to talk about diversity and uh, and inclusion. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll spend the second half of the show, you know, talking about that. Um, and uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, with that, um, you know, diversity, inclusion, creating these diverse and inclusive workplaces, um, you know, how have you thought about that, uh, you know, within your business at Weirdly? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it as diverse and inclusive as you want it to be? Um, you know, how has uh, your your thoughts around diversity, inclusion and in your workplace, how has that, you know, helped you as a business and you as a, uh, I guess, a, a founder? Well, um, what we started with this um, idea around diversity and inclusion from day one. Um, and so partly we, are, as I mentioned, we're four founders. We're 50% female founded. Um, and we have strived to keep that kind of percentage in place with our whole team. Um, we, we were definitely on target for that for the first year or two. We slightly wandered off from that when we went through our challenges and we've come back and we are actually slightly over 50% now. Um, so that's something we've done on purpose and we're committed to it, to continuing to achieve. Um, the other thing is that although I'm the CEO, there are four founders, and as a result of that, uh, we created a collaborative leadership model. And um, we wanted a culture that's flat, which you have to have in a, in a startup business, and we are still small, but we've uh, created values in our um, culture that encourage people to be curious and question and to um, ask difficult questions if they're not certain about something or they don't agree with it. And we sl- and we have a, a culture of if it's a big decision, we sleep on every decision before we go move forward with it. And we want to hear from everybody. Um, and that's meant that we've created a much better product because we've got in our founder group alone, we're completely different. <laughs> I'm a very extreme extrovert and quite domineering. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have someone who's a deep-seated introvert who doesn't speak in meetings and at the end comes up with this amazing pearl of wisdom. <laughs> um, and it, it's meant that we've challenged each other, we've had tension, we've disagreed, but we've created a way better product because of it. And when- yeah, no. When you're so you, you mentioned so like at the moment you're just a little bit over fifty percent in terms of I, I guess of like a, a female to, to male like employees, right? Um, yes. But like when you're um, hiring, uh, like for, for any role, are you thinking well, like maybe the balance isn't quite right, and we we need to hire a woman? But then does that necessarily you, you know? Uh, uh, is that always the, the right sort of decision for um, uh, for that role? Like, how do, I guess, kind of, how do you hire uh, for diversity and inclusion? I mean, it's, it's something that, um, let's say, you know, we work hard for, like, within or think about, you know, within our, our company as well. And I think we're we're a little bit more than fifty percent women, uh, um, you know, in terms of the, the ratio of, of men to women within the company. Uh, but I'm not sure, like, I quite know the answer in terms of, you, you know, how to kind of keep that ratio when you're, you know, interviewing and just making sure that you have, like, a fair representation of candidates. Like, what, what's your advice and thoughts around that? Well, we're, we're lucky enough that we're in a position where quotas isn't a challenge for us. We're not trying to... to shift from a very extreme difference. We're fairly balanced and we seem to sit around the 50, 40%. Mm. Um, well, one of the things that I think we do well and that we recognise in other organisations and our customers is um, our content that goes out about us 
um, shows a lot of um, the diversity that exists inside our organisation. So you see me out there a lot speaking at conferences, talking and on social and our founders. Um, a lot of the imagery that we're using is very diverse and um, speaks to the way that we think. Um, our customers are doing similar initiatives. So we see not just specific to um, female um, diversity, but whatever the, the diversity that they're looking for and what they're trying to champion, it's about the, the messaging that you're putting out about your organisation, not just in the recruitment process, but always about your employer brand. And I think that then attracts people or like to that organisation. Um, you obviously work with a, a, a number of uh, number of clients, and um, you know, have you seen any kind of like really interesting uh, diversity inclusion um, like I, initiatives that they've come up with uh, that you, you know could be interesting, uh, you know, for our listeners to uh, to maybe try and adopt? Sure. Well, I, in New Zealand, there's an initiative called the Rainbow Tick. I don't know if you have something similar. So the Rainbow Tick is it's a, called a quality improvement cycle that's designed to make an organisation a safe, welcoming and inclusive place for people of diverse gender identity and sexual orientation. So we've got a number of customers that have attained the Rainbow Tick and they promote that throughout their recruitment processes. It's on their careers pages. So it's a tick that goes across all of New Zealand. So any organisation that goes through the process to attain that can promote that and that can help. Um, we have organisations doing diversity and inclusion action groups. Um, tr- uh, there is a drive to comp- in New Zealand and in Australia to ensure that the workforce that you have is indicative of the demographic of the area that you live in. Um, our airline um, in New Zealand, um, so we're seeing this the la- quite a few large companies that are, um, they're truly engaging and incorporating Indigenous languages into their everyday. Have you ever flown in New Zealand? Have I flown in New Zealand? Or no, any, no, in New Zealand. No, yeah. no, no, I, I haven't. <laughs> no. Well, they're a wonderful airline. Um, uh, but they, I don't, on the entertainment channels, when I, because I always fly in New Zealand, because um, one of our customers also, is that we go, when you're in the entertainment channel, it says Kia Ora, which is the Indigenous language of New Zealand, and it's a welcome. And then when you land, it says Matewa, which means uh, until next time or see you again. So this is in all of their branding that they're incorporating that. Uh, the Indigenous language also. So we're looking at all kinds of ways that organisations are promoting uh, diversity from a cultural perspective, a nationality perspective, ethnicity, gender, everything. Awesome. I, I, I do, I really like the idea of the rainbow tick and I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, maybe I haven't looked into it enough, but whether there are kind of like similar schemes in the UK or maybe even just across the, 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 the SaaS industry. Uh, I mean, something that actually we, we've um, uh, just started a partnership uh, together with Zendesk, um, uh, which will be, um, I mean, it's currently live on our website at the moment, but we'll be uh, announcing at SASDOC 18 next week uh, about the uh, the Taking Stock Pledge, which is a, a diversity and inclusion pledge where we're looking to get, you know, uh, different voices uh, like heard, whether it's, you know, uh, on stage or, you, you know, uh, within like employment, within SAS businesses and making sure that, um, you know, SAS, the SAS industry is a diverse and more diverse and inclusive uh, place. So, you know, we're just starting to, uh, to get going on that and, and pushing that message um, but you know what? What, what else do you think um, that maybe you know we or listeners you know could do 
uh, to to promote more successful diversity sort of uh, in- initiatives? And do you have any advice there? Well, I think sharing stories is, is, a, is a really good way to do that. I've been seeing a lot of organisations who are being honest about metrics that they're wanting to improve when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And they may not... I mean, the areas that they're trying to improve, but just showing a commitment to improving those and sharing those stories um, is something that can be really powerful because everyone wants to follow everyone else who has a good story. And even if that shift is only by a small percentage, promoting that and being proud of that is something that I think um, that more organisations should do. Um, we've been seeing some initiatives about, in the recruitment model specifically, because that's where we sit, um, about people doing blind campaigns to help reduce with bias. We've seen commitments to um, organisations trying to collect more diversity data so that they can then look at the improvement and um, also find where the improvement needs to occur in their, in their recruitment funnel. So a lot of things like that. Awesome. And, and uh, as we come to the, the, the end of the show now, and um, so, well, we, we've got a couple of minutes and, uh, you know, I want you to uh, enjoy the rest of your, your, your Friday evening of what's left of that. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so obviously you mentioned that you're, you're speaking at Sastel Oceania on December the 6th in, in Sydney. Um, so excited as to say this is the first time that Sastel is, uh, is coming down to, uh, to that part of the world. Um, what can we hear to, uh, or what can we expect to hear from you um, at Sastel Oceania? Well, we're still working on the, on the perfect content, um, but we're, we're going to be talking around the theme of the crucial role that values and culture play in scaling startups. Um, it's becoming increasingly evident that um, considering these things right at the beginning of your startup journey is so important when we're looking at some of those large organisations who've been having some scandals and issues that have come down to problems with culture and values alignment, and I'm sure we don't need to name them, but there are so many practical ways that you can help instill your values and culture right across your recruitment process and inside your organisation, and we want to share some of those um, some of ours personally and the ones that we've seen in our talk at uh, Sastock Oceania. Looking forward to that. And uh, like final question, we always ask our guests how they stay <laughs> healthy, healthy and sane. And uh, I mean, we're both, uh, we're, we're both parents. We're both, you know, running uh, startups, which uh, really both of those things take their toll on your health and your sanity. Um, uh, especially, I mean, I've had, um, you, you know, one of my kids sort of come into our bed at like 3 a.m. this morning and then just kicked me throughout the uh, the whole night. So I haven't had the, haven't had the best night's sleep uh, um, uh, and I'm glad we don't publish the video. But uh, tell me um, a little bit about how you stay healthy and sane as, you, uh, as you're building weirdly. Well, it's, it's, it's the standard stuff for me, really. I, for number one is sleep. I get up very early, so I need to get to bed on time and I need how, to have... How early is early? I get up at five if I can. Yeah. Uh, usually I'm awake before then, but I try not to get out of bed before five o'clock. Um, and then I have to do exercise. Um, and so that ex- I have to be honest about my exercise. I'm not an athlete by any stretch, but I only need to do 30 minutes of something. And I give that to myself every day. Um, and I, the other thing is perspective for me because I, um, I'm a bit of a stress junkie. I think a lot. Um, my um, partner, who's also one of the founders of Weirdly, when he says he wakes up in the morning um, to a board meeting, because when I wake up, I am on and I'm waiting for him to wake up so I can start talking about Weirdly straight away in the morning. So um, I need to gain perspective. And one of the ways that I do that is I journal. 
So um, I write about the things that are grateful and remind myself of how far we've come. So because sometimes you, you find it easy to focus on the negative, but you must always focus on the positive and what you've learned and where you've come from. Awesome. I know, I know I said that was the last question, but you mentioned that your your, your partner is also your co-founder at Weirdly. So I guess it just made me think like running a, you, you know, running a startup, it's always, it's very hard. You're, you're almost, you're 24 seven thinking about the, the business and like, you know, when you have your family or your kids there, sometimes you're not present, right? In, in, in front of your, your, your children. Uh, with, uh, you, you know, being with, uh, you know, your, your partner is your co-founder, do you ever find that you get time to switch off from the business? Like, how do you switch off from the business, if at all? This is such a good question. He is better at it than I am, um, but I try not to stress out about that because that's just part of my personality. Um, but we take time. For me, it's uh, I find that spending time, just the two of us going for a walk out of the house around the block is all we need to, be, to do to get some space, some space and some time out. Um, because I work from home a lot of the time too, because we have completely flexible work arrangements with Weirdly. So it's just going for a walk and clearing your head. That's what we do. Okay, good stuff. Well, uh, on that note, um, I was just actually just going to say, I mean, the, the, the listeners can't see, but we have very similar tattoos. So we can, oh, yeah. We can compare those uh, in, <laughs> in Sydney. Um, okay. But, um, but, yeah, Dale Kleber, it's been an awesome podcast. You know, thanks so much for uh, sharing the weirdly story and talking about diversity and inclusion. Really enjoyed it. And I, I can't wait to uh, uh, to meet you in Sydney and, uh, yeah, just, you know, hear your talk. So super excited for that. So thank you, Dale Clairbert, CEO and co-founder of Weirdly. You're very welcome. See and, you in December. Yeah, <laughs> enjoy your Friday night and I'm, I'm off for breakfast. <laughs> okay, I'm off for a drink. Yeah. <laughs> See you, bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed the episode of the SaaS Revolution show and have picked up valuable lessons from Dale Clairbert, CEO of Weirdly. She'll be joined by 15 other brilliant speakers at SaaS.Oceania on December the 6th in Sydney. Grab a ticket and join us there. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.